Well, Lord, as we enter a new year, we just pray that, uh, God, that we know that you are faithful. We know that you are righteous and just. But God, I also pray that we would be on board with what you want to do, knowing that you want to do a new work in each and every one of us, and that, God, where we are today is not the same place we should be in a year from now. And so, Father, I pray today that you would speak to us through your word, that, God, as we look at how you want to do new things in us and through us, that, God, we would be open to what you would want to do uh, for us this year, that we would be obedient to what you have called us to do, and that we would be people who in a year from now, can look back and rejoice and celebrate for all or over all the things that you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. You're going to have to excuse me uh, with this. I went in uh, really Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas was torturous for me. Um, I actually thought I was coughing up my internal organs. Um, So it's gotten a lot better. But I was diagnosed with bronchitis on Wednesday, um, and so it's been fighting through it. First time I've ever had bronchitis, I've heard people talk about it and thought, man, I hope I never get it, and unfortunately I got it. So anyways, Isaiah chapter 43, and while you're getting there, I do want to let you know, Mike brought me up an update. We have uh, taken in $1,268 so far uh, as of a couple weeks ago, actually the 17th, uh, for Lottie Moon. So we did meet our goal, and I want to say thank you, yes. Good job with that. And that's, hey, that's just an awesome opportunity. And here's one of the things as we start a new sermon series called New Thing, I want you to think about this. What is it, and maybe ask yourself this question, what is it that God wants to do in my life? What new thing does God want to do in my life that is going to propel me or push me to be more obedient, to be a person who's going to walk by faith in the midst of something that may seem like it's an impossible task. And that's what I want to challenge you for this year is because when you look at what can, can take place in a year-long period, a lot of times we get bogged down. But what happens at the end of this year, like we're entering now, and the beginning of a new year, what does everybody always do? New Year's resolutions. We always make this resolution that we're going to do something, whether it's lose weight eat healthier, we're going to get stronger, we're going to spend more time on family, or we're going to work a little less, or maybe we're going to work a little more, or or whatever it is, there are all kinds of resolutions. Maybe you're going to cut soda out, maybe you're going to get rid of coffee, maybe you're going to drink less coffee, maybe you want to quit smoking, I don't know what it is. But everybody's got these resolutions that they always do, and it always seems like this, that 10, 12, 13, 14 days later, we're right back into the same old, same old that we've always done in the past. As a matter of fact, did you know that almost 90% of everybody who goes in and signs up for the new gym membership at the beginning of the year, by March is gone. A matter of fact, yeah, a matter of fact, all the people who are regulars who work out always know that January is going to be torturous. Because all the morons who haven't been lifting weights show up and they commit to about two weeks and they do it and then they quit. And the, and, and the gyms love it because the gyms make all the money off of those people who never show up. All right? So with that, I want to challenge you this way. I believe that God wants to do something new in your life this year. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it's going to challenge you to do, but what I do know is this, that there is no way you can identify or know what that new thing is if you're not 
spending time in his word. And so this year, we're going to go back through the scripture reading plan we had with the Bible Project. We've got it printed off for those of you who are technologically challenged, all right? We printed it off, but you can download it on your phone. You can go to the Read Scripture app. They've got great videos. As a matter of fact, if you get this and you're going to see, it's got the day it's got the what you're supposed to read. It's got a psalm to read every day. And then it's got a video. Now, for those of you who do not have a computer or phone, I guess you're out of luck because there's no way to access the videos unless you have a computer or phone. For those of you who do have a phone or a computer, you can log in. You can keep up with your reading daily. And then it also goes along with those videos. And so there's videos you can watch every day that will help explain what you're reading, that will tie everything together. And I still stand by this. I said this last year. I'm going to stand by it again this year. This is probably the best Bible reading program I have ever seen because it gives you videos that help explain stuff that you're reading in a very simple but yet very profound way. Videos I think that you will actually enjoy. They're not boring. They're very intriguing, they're very exciting, um, and they're very interesting. So I want to challenge you with that, to read, spend some time reading this year, uh, to grow, to understand, and to understand what that new thing is that God may be calling you to do. Do you guys ever get tired of monotony? Why is monotony such a tough thing? Do you ever feel like you're stuck in a rut, you're not getting where, or you're not seeing any progress? Do you wish things would change? Do you wish just something small, maybe, maybe something so small would change that all of a sudden it would bring like this new life, this new excitement to what's going on in your life. Maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's physically. See, sometimes monotony and death feel the same, don't they? Like, matter of fact, sometimes monotony feels like you're walking the slow path to death because you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you begin to think, what the heck is going on? But I also want you to think about this. With the new year comes a new opportunity to restart, to refocus, and to renew everything that's going on in your life. And I believe that today's text, as we look at Isaiah chapter 43, is in its historical context, talking about the future restoration of Israel. All right, Israel was in a monotonous relationship. Israel was in a self-centered relationship. Israel continued to, this is the monotony thing, right? God delivers, Israel celebrates, Israel sins, Israel suffers, Israel then has to confess, and God delivers again. This is a monotonous relationship that Israel continually went through over and over and over again in the Old Testament. If you read any part of the Old Testament, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this thing is, is on repeat. It's like Groundhog Day in the worst possible sense, over years, not just a short time, over years, a long period of time, Israel over and over and over got in, stuck into this rut. They got in this monotonous relationship. And I believe this, that many lives are wasted by choosing the monotony of safety over the boldness of the uncharted. In other words, instead of moving forward, we would rather choose what's safe, what's easy, what's monotonous. But I also want you to think about this. Monotony is also life-giving. It's maintaining faithfulness to the small things day after day after day after day. You may say, well, my marriage is monotonous. Sometimes that's good. That you're maintaining faithfulness day after day after day to your wife or to your husband or to your kids and your family 
Monotony can be also a good thing. It's a life-giving thing. I, I realized that recently with a lot of what we've done uh, with, a, with an individual was things that I take for granted. Inviting them into our house, being a part of our family and things like this, and then having this individual say, you know, I didn't get to experience a life like this. I didn't have a childhood look like this. I didn't have parents who invested in me like this. All of those things may seem monotonous to you, but to somebody else, they may not. And so I want you to think about this. Life is a lot, is based a lot on how you look at things. How do I approach things? Life is, I believe this, what you make of it. You wanna have a monotonous lifestyle? That's okay, there's nothing wrong with monotony. There's good and bad to monotony, but I also wanna challenge you with this. There may be something new that God wants to do in your life. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 14, and let's read along. We're gonna read from verse 14 to 21. This is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. And this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. Now listen to verse 18. What's he say? Forget the what? Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Now, here's, here's the truth about this and that what we have to begin to understand is monotony has nothing to do with our place. Monotony has everything to do with our attitude. As a matter of fact, there's a guy named G.K. Chesterton. Some of you may have heard of it. He says this, it either is a sensation or it's an infliction. It's simply the quality of a person. There are no dreary sights. There are only dreary sightseers. In other words, based upon how you look at the circumstances and situations that you're in, that can lead you into a monotonous Life, you begin to become overwhelmed based upon how you view things. And what I want you to see is this. In today's scripture, in today's text, I believe that God wants to do something new in all of our lives, but not just in our lives, in the life of our community, in the life of our nation, in the life around the world, all right? And so what I want you to remember is this. If you remember anything, that God provides, listen, a new thing in Christ in times of dryness and waste, in times of dryness and waste, God provides a new thing in Christ. See, it's always easy to sit back and go, man, when things are going great, I'm great. But when things get difficult, it becomes something that becomes oftentimes overwhelming. It can be a burden that begins to weigh us down. And so here's the question I wanted to ask today. How do we start the new year? A new year is always about new resolutions and new ideas and new beginnings and things like that. Then how do I start the new year off right? How do I start it off with purpose, with intent, with obedience? All right, and I'm gonna answer that very quickly, very shortly, because I don't know how long I can hold on uh, with talking. Excuse me. So how do we start the new year off right? Number one, 
Remember, God redeems hard-hearted people. I have to remember that God redeems hard-hearted people. Here's the point of this text, and you have to begin to understand what's going on. Isaiah, right here in Isaiah chapter 53, is prophesying before the nation of Israel was carried off into captivity. Now, you gotta remember, the nation of Israel is broke up into two. It's been split, right? There's the northern kingdom, Israel, whose capital is Samaria, and there's the southern kingdom, Judah, whose capital is what? Starts with J. Ends with a salam. Yep, there we go. Jerusalem. All right, there you go. All right. Southern kingdom is Judah. Its capital is Jerusalem. The northern kingdom is going to be carried off into exile and then will be no more. The southern kingdom eventually will be carried off into exile and will come back and will become Israel again once they are restored. But they are, he is, Isaiah is prophesying before they're going to be carried off into captivity. And so what he's saying is this hey, I'm going to tell you about the eventual judgment on Babylon for what they're going to do to Judah. So Babylon at this point is just starting to rise into power. All right, they're starting to become a world dominant force. They're, they are stepping into the, the world scene as world leaders, world-class military, and they are rising to the occasion. And Isaiah is telling the people, you've got to understand, you're going to be carried off into captivity. But guess what? After captivity, there's a promise. There's this new thing that God's going to do, and he's going to deliver you. And so God uses an up-and-coming world power in Babylon to show his people the way he's going to make forward for them. See, here's the reality. The religious works weren't doing it for the people in the Old Testament, was it? Because day after day, time after time, month after month, year after year, work after work, the people went back into a monotonous lifestyle being stuck in a rut. So these religious works weren't doing it for him. Their attempt at trying to earn God's grace and God's favor wasn't working. And what I want you to remember is this. When when I talk about remember how God redeems hard-hearted people, I want to ask you this question. Do you remember how you were before you found Christ? Do you remember how you were before you put your faith and trust in Christ, before you believed that Jesus died on the cross and rose again? Do you remember what your life was like beforehand? Because the reality is a lot of times what ends up happening in a Christian's life is we get saved, we put our faith in Christ, and then we've been taught to flee from everything that's gone on. And so as a result, we don't remember what it's like to be lost. So we struggle relating. But remember this, that God redeems hard-hearted people over and over and over again. Matter of fact, I think it's the hardest-hearted people that are the most successful and obedient usually because there is such a drastic change in their life. Listen to what he says. This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One for Israel says. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. In other words, he's laying it out that he is going to redeem these hard-hearted people, the ones who are carried off into captivity because of their sin. I'm gonna bring them back. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to make things right. And so how do I start off the new year? I have to remember that God redeems hard-hearted people over and over and over again. We see this played out all throughout the Bible, that God redeems those who are hard-hearted. The worst, the vilest, the people that, they, that we think don't have a chance, God can redeem. Number two, how do we start off the, number, the, the, the new year? Number two, 
We recollect the great works of the Lord. You have to recall, you have to recollect, recall exactly what it is that God has done. Look at verses 16 and 17, because that's literally what he lays it out. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. Listen to what's taking place. Here's the reality of what we have to see. In, in entering a new year, you recall the great works of the Lord, what God has done in your life, what God has done for us, what God has accomplished in us. Those are the things we want to do. If we want to have a successful new year, then I recall all the great works the Lord has done. The beauty of this text is that just as God overwhelmed the power of the Egyptian army, God will overwhelm and overpower the Babylonian army here in this text. But just as God did that in that situation, God can do it in the very situations you're in. The impossible situation where you feel overmatched, overpowered, and underwhelmed. God says, I can make a way. I can be the one who's going to deliver you See, this teaches us that we can always justify trusting God right now by remembering the great things he has done. Remember the good things that he's done in your life. I love how he lays this out. As a matter of fact, I also believe it teaches us that we never want to oppose or stand against the work of the Lord. But listen to what he says again. This is what the Lord says. As a matter of fact, if you like to write or highlight in your Bible, I would encourage you to do this. This is what the Lord says. And then he names out his names. Your what? You're what? Verse 14. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, that's his name, so circle it. He says, I'm the Holy One of Israel. You can circle that. Verse 15, I am the Lord. You can circle that. I am your Holy One. I am Israel's creator and I am your King. He's laying out all of these names that he's calling himself, showing him his deliverance, showing him the great works that he's accomplished, showing him what he's going to do. And I love how he starts off. He says, I am your redeemer. The very first and foremost priority for God was to redeem his people. Who is your Lord? He's your redeemer. He's the holy one. He's the holy one of Israel. He's the Lord. He's your holy one. He's Israel's creator and he's your king. See, God holds out images of strength, images of power, images of might, and images of authority. All of those things are played out here. So I recall the good works of the Lord, the great works of the Lord. And I believe this wholeheartedly, that God is reminding them of the past work he has accomplished. And so when I, call, I recall God's works, I recollect those God, God's works, I recall exactly what it is God has done in me and for me and through me. So in order to have a new year, a, a year that I believe is going to be successful, you have to recall God's works. What is it you're thankful for over the last year? What has God done in you? How have you grown? How have you become more obedient? How have you followed him down a path that maybe you never thought you would have followed him before? In order to start the new year off right, I believe you have to start with that. Remember, God redeems hard-hearted people. Remember or recall the great works. Matter of fact, I had to break this out for, for some reason this morning. It came to my mind. But it was one of those songs. You guys remember the old hymn, To God Be the Glory? Anybody remember how it starts off? To God be the glory. What? 
Great thing he has done. Great things he has done. Matter of fact, I had to break it out because I couldn't remember it all. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. And then it goes into praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And what? Great things he has done. That's just a very simple explanation for everything that we're reading right here in Isaiah. Every bit of that is something that points directly to God. And what we have to begin to understand is that we have to understand that it's for God's glory. And the beauty of this is, we just read through that simple verse But if you look at the very end of the chapter, the very end of what we just read, verse 21, he says, so that my people will proclaim my praise. The very thing that we just sang about is the very thing, or the very thing that we just read is the very thing that God is talking about. When I recall God's good works, I praise him for what he has done in my life. And as a result, when I proclaim praise, I am acknowledging that to everybody else. So I recall exactly what it is that God has done. How do I start off the new year right? Number one, remember God redeems hard-hearted people. Number two, recollect the great works of the Lord. Number three, listen to this, do not remember the sins of your past. Now, easier said than done, right? But I believe this wholeheartedly that when God says, I forgive you, you need to forget it. Because here's what ends up happening in our lives. And I'm just as guilty as anybody else. The minute I start to doubt what God is doing, I start to doubt because of myself. Not because of God. I doubt because of my past. I doubt because of what I've done in the past. I doubt because of my sins. I doubt because of my disbelief. I doubt because of my unobedience. I doubt because of all of those things. I don't doubt because of God. I doubt because of who? I begin to doubt because of the very imperfections and flaws that I carry around in and of myself. So listen to what he says in verse 18. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. So recall the good works of God, those in the past. Don't remember the former things, the junk you carried around with you. You get the point? Recall God's good works, Don't remember your bad stuff. Anytime you remember your bad stuff, you're always gonna fall up short. And here's the reason why. Because you're trying to carry the weight and the burden yourself. It was not meant to be carried by you. When Jesus went to the cross, he said, I will carry your burdens, your sins, and your problems. So guess what? Don't remember your past. Look, every time I felt like a failure, you wanna know why I felt like a failure? because I focused on myself. I began to look and go, man, I just let everybody down. Man, I shouldn't have done this. Man, I shouldn't have said that. Man, I shouldn't have acted like this. What an idiot. And all of those times, I'm gonna feel like a complete and utter failure because I'm looking at myself rather than looking at God. I'm not remembering what God did for me. I'm remembering the past and what I did. But listen to what he says. Isaiah again says this, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Do you think the people of Israel understood what was going on? Oh yeah. They knew that they were being held accountable for all of the imperfections, all of the disobedience, all of the sins that they had committed. 
And yet God is saying, hey, look, when it comes to this point, forget the past. You got to move forward into the future. Because when you forget the past, you cannot dwell on the past and let it, or when you, when you, when you focus on the past, you cannot move into the future. When you dwell on the past, you can't move forward in obedience because you're so focused on everything that's going on in the past or went on in the past. See, God wants to put the eyes or their eyes on the new work he will do. So it begins with a reminder not to remember the former things. Why? Because look at what he says in verse 19. See, I'm doing a what? I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to start something new. I'm going to start something that's going to spring up. And it says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? Are you not seeing the, the big picture of what he says? If you're stuck in the failure of sin and discouragement of the past, you will never move forward to the new thing God has for you. Never. We never will. None of us, nobody. When you are so stuck and focused on your failure and your sin and discouragement, you can never move forward into the new thing. Why? Because that's exactly what Satan does. Satan takes this ball and chain. It's called your past. And I kind of like to think about the old school Western movies. All right. Ball and chain is not so heavy for Satan. All right. Anytime you start to get a little bit confident, Satan just goes, what's he doing? He hooks that ball and chain of all of your past failures, sin, and regrets, and he hooks it to you. And here's what ends up happening. Instead of moving forward, we go, oh, I'm stuck. And now I got to go back. And what do I do? I'm going to deal with the ball and chain. I'm going to make a big deal about it. We're going to have this ball and chain and I've got to carry this ball and chain. I'm going to go with it. When the reality is the ball and chain is nothing more than Satan wants to do to keep you back, to keep you from moving forward into the new thing that God has for you. And when you let the ball and chain become the focus, I focus on the past and I don't move forward into the what? present, the future, what God wants to do in you and through you. And trust me, that's exactly how he works over and over and over again. See, if you're stuck in failure, sin, and discouragement, you move forward by believing that Jesus died for your sins, that he removes them, he washes them away, and he wants to give you new life. That's exactly what he's talking about. I am doing a new thing. He's promising the coming Messiah here. I'm gonna do a new thing. Guess what? You're not gonna have to worry about your ball and chain anymore. Why? Because it's gonna be gone. You can forget your past. Why? Because it's gonna be forgiven. Anytime you're reminded of your past, anytime you're reminded of your past, that is not something that God brings up. You guys get that? Now, I, I, I will say this. I believe wholeheartedly he will bring it up if you haven't confessed it. If you have confessed it, you have repented of it, you have moved on. The only time it would ever be brought back up is when Satan wants to bring it up to remind you so that you would focus on that and not focus on obedience. Anytime we focus on that, we don't focus on obedience. I guarantee you that. And so we recall all the good works that the Lord has done, but you don't remember the sins of your past. Matter of fact, there's also a sense in which we must forsake and forget the past with all of its discouragement and all of its defeat and move on to what God has for us in the future. We have to remember the past in terms of God good, God's good works, but we forget the past when it comes to our sins and discouragement and brokenness. 
God wants to use your past to build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you. But listen, God uses your past so that you would trust him and walk in faithfulness and obedience and not focus on the past, but to move forward into the future. So you want to start the new year off right? Forget the past. And look, I know it's easier said than done at times. Deal with it, but move on from it. Don't let it be the ball and chain that holds you back from moving forward. So number three, do not remember your sins. So how do we start a new year? Remember, God redeems hard-hearted people, and we see that over and over and over throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Number two, recall or recollect the good works of the Lord. Number three, don't remember the sins of your past. Number four, listen to this, embrace the Lord doing something new in your life. You have to grasp it. You have to take hold of it. And I believe this wholeheartedly. In order to take hold of it, you're only gonna be able to take hold of what you put time and effort into. You're never gonna know exactly what God wants you to do if you're not spending any time in his word. He's not gonna call you to do something new when you don't even know him. You're not gonna be able to discern and understand what he's calling you to do when you don't know him. And so that's why I want to push you even towards this Bible reading plan that you dig in and dig into God's word and ask God, God, what is it that you want to do in my life that is new? How do you want to take me forward? What is going to be the the road that you want me to take? Because staying stuck in the past can keep us from the new things God wants us to do. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. When we think about a new thing, We have to think about it like this. It's unprecedented in character. That God wants to do something new that is unprecedented, unmatched, unequaled in our lives through Christ. And this new thing is life in Christ, but I also believe that God wants to do something new inside each and every one of us. And I want to ask you this question. What is the new thing? Because listen to what he says. I love this. See, I'm doing a new thing, and it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And listen to what he says. What is the new thing? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Matter of fact, if you look at that picture, that looks like a pretty desolate place. I've honestly never been in a place like that, that is cracked and deteriorated and broken down and just all that dry. I mean, in my yard every now and then I get a few small cracks in areas where there's just dirt and stuff like that, but it never looks like that. I mean, that tree is desolate, the cracks in the ground. I mean, you can see the ground and the earth just kind of buckling up. But I want you to think about this. Is that your life? Do you feel like you're trapped in the desert? Feel like you're stuck in the wasteland? Because that's what he literally says. See, I'm doing a new thing and it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. See, God has resources and plans that we don't even know about and we have to leave the details up to him. When God makes a promise, we oftentimes worry about the details or the obstacles for the fulfillment of the promise. That's what we just talked about not too long ago in the last sermon series. We always look at the size of the obstacle rather than the size of God. 
But when God makes a promise, which he's saying, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland, he's saying, hey, maybe you're going through a dry time, a time where you feel lost and discouraged. Maybe you see mirages in your life or glimpses of hope only to wander there and realize that you're still stuck in a dry time and you're still stuck in the desert. Anybody ever been there? Hoping, praying, asking God to do something? And listen again what he says. I'm doing a new thing, a new thing. I am making a way in the desert. Here's what I take that to mean. I'm gonna go through a desert. I'm gonna go through times where it's dry. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I feel empty. I feel useless. I feel like I'm just wandering. All of those times are, are, are things that you're gonna have significantly in your life. There are gonna be times where you're gonna go through that. Do you imagine wandering across like the Sahara Desert? I was thinking of the movie Sahara. They're out in the middle of the desert, left, and you're just nothing but sand. In fact, I remember being in the Middle East thinking, oh my gosh, why would anybody wanna live here? But... Sand everywhere, 120 degrees, wind blows, it's like sandblasted. You just imagine just wandering through that dry, barren land. And here's the promise God says I will make a way in the desert, in the wasteland. And the beauty of the next thing is and streams in the wasteland. See, he will make a desert, he will make a way in the desert. Maybe you're going through that dry time, but when he says streams in the wasteland, it's literally streams of living water that flow from followers of Christ. You get that? You get that big picture? Matter of fact, I'm gonna read John chapter seven, verse 37. Listen to what it says. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So when you're going through the dry and desolate land and Jesus says, I am, I'm gonna give you the streams in the wasteland, you have to understand that Jesus is the stream in the wasteland because living water flows from us as a result of Christ. See, he does all of this so that people may proclaim his praise. And that's how he literally wraps it up. He talks about the wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls, but he says this. Because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. See, we have new things going on over and over and over again, and you are invited to be a part of it. All of us are invited to be a part of it. Exactly what God wants to do, that God wants to do a new thing in each and everybody's life every day. The problem is sometimes we let monotony, and I would even say this, the monotony of not reading scripture, the monotony of not giving God any time, the monotony of not spending any time of prayer, the monotony of just going through the motions in life, and we miss out on the new thing that God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. So monotony can be something that becomes a problem, but I also want you to know this, that monotony can be life-giving, that when I maintain faithfulness, that even in the midst of the dryness, God is going to provide a way. Even in the midst of the thirstiness, God is going to lead me to streams in the wasteland through his word and that God wants to do a new thing in my life. And all of that, 
so that his people will proclaim his praise. I'm encouraged by this. And I would challenge you and I would encourage you with this. That I believe that we have new things going on day in and day out in our life. Number one, we're relaunching our youth ministry here in the church. We're gonna start focusing on that. We don't have a lot of teenagers. We got kids coming up. It's gonna be a great start. Our kids ministry needs more workers. We need people who, listen, love kids and love Jesus who are gonna work with kids and give their heart to kids and pour their effort into these kids. We have a Mexico mission partnership that is a new work, that God wants to do a new thing in and through us. We have our Hispanic church plant that God wants to do a new thing in and through that. And I don't know if you realize this, but I wanna thank you for the fact of what we have done. You realize that we have not asked for a single penny. And I know sometimes it gets overwhelming, but you have to understand that planting a church is not easy. A matter of fact, planting a church in today's world is even harder, I believe, than even 20 years ago. Let alone planting a church that's of a minority, that doesn't speak English, or some of them don't speak English. And we have to begin to understand that God wants to do a new thing because every nation, tribe, and tongue will be represented. Think about that. We have partnered with North American Mission Board and seeing churches planted and replanted around North America. Matter of fact, this is gonna be a push over the next couple of years. I'm trying to find interns right now. I've got one in the works that we're gonna try and bring on board, probably gonna be voluntary most likely, that they can be trained and equipped to go out and replant a church. And for those of you who don't realize that this is a up and coming thing that we have to address in the Southern Baptist Convention and around the world because right now churches are dying just as fast as they're being planted. Guess what that means? Some people are gonna have to work. Some pastors are gonna have to work beyond what they're just doing. So that's part of the partnership. We partnered with Lottie Moon, which is a great thing to see the gospel taken around the world. We partnered with Three Trails Elementary to serve them. We have our recovery group, the front lines of battle right here in Independence. And if you don't think recovery is needed right here in Independence, you have no clue what's going on in Independence. I could walk day in and day out and you would not believe the amount of people I know who are either addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol or something else even that are in desperate need of help. There are people who carry this day in and day out around their lives and they let it completely go. But I want you to see this, that we need everyone in the church. Every member has to be a part. Everyone to rise to the occasion. Everyone to carry the church. Everyone to lead well. Everyone to love well. Everyone to serve well. And to watch God do a new thing right here in our midst. Right here in our church. Because it's not gonna happen if one person or two people do it. It will never happen like that. Never. The reason I love baseball so much is because it's a team sport. No one player can carry a whole baseball team. Never happens. The pitcher, usually nine times out of 10, the pitcher does not hit. Anybody who's watched professional baseball knows that. Most pitchers can't hit. Baseball is a team sport that has to be carried out. Football is a team sport, not one man. Football is made up of a team sport, of a team. And the team has to work together to accomplish the big picture goal of everything that goes on. And I want you to understand this, that I believe the church is even more so a team sport than anything else because everybody has to carry their part. 
Everybody's got a position to play. Everybody's got a role to do. Everybody's got a job to fulfill. Everybody's got an act to carry out. Everybody's got something to do within the church so that the church, listen, works together as a team so that the church can be the best it can be. Listen, here's why. Look at the very end, verse 21, that they may proclaim my praise. That God wants to do a new thing in your life where you're at right now. He wants to give you a way in the desert. He wants to give you streams in the wasteland so that the church can proclaim the praise of God because of what he's done. And so here's the way I look at it and here's how I'm gonna wrap up. It's gonna be a tough road when you try and go through things on your own. It's gonna be difficult it's gonna be hard. You're gonna go through times where you're in the desert. You're gonna go through times where you feel like you're in a wasteland and there is no water. But I'm here to tell you this, that when we as a church rise up together, serve together, love together, live together, doing life together, then we're more successful than we'll ever be when we try and do things on our own. The people of Israel were not delivered out of captivity with just one person. The whole nation was brought out of captivity, not because of the works of an individual, because of the works of God. And so I just wanna simply ask you this. Recall all the good things that God has done. Good things in your life, good things in the church, good things in your home. Recall all of those things. Don't focus, don't focus on the past with your sins and your discouragement and your cares and your worries, but focus on the future and what God wants to do in and through you now. Because everything that God has done in the past, he says, I'm going to do something new in the future. And I think it's easy to be bogged down and trapped by our past and not move forward into the future. And I want to challenge you with this. And I'm going to leave you with, with this as well. I'm part of a group called New Thing, Kansas City. New Thing is a movement that started here in the United States. Uh, I believe it started out Chicago. They got a thing called Exponential now. We have a goal. There's a group of about between seven and 10 pastors I meet with once a month. Uh, we meet downtown Kansas City. Uh, guys from all over. Matter of fact, uh, Craig, who is at um, uh, Church of the Four Corners. I meet with Jake, who's at Maywood Baptist, and also a guy named Alex who's over at Revive Church, used to be meeting in in Van Horn. They're meeting at an old church right there next to Van Horn. They just took over the building. But through New Thing, we have a goal of seeing over 1,000 churches. We want 1,000 churches planted or replanted by 2025. Anybody tell me what year we are entering? Yeah. Right now, they're just over 200. We have seven years that we want to see a thousand churches planted or replanted here in the Kansas City area only. Now that seems insurmountable because I start to think about, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? But I also want you to know this, Rockwood, about a month ago, voted to close their doors. Here's what we need to do as a church. Number one, we need leaders who are going to step up who are going to rise to the occasion, who are going to be obedient to what God has called them to do, who are going to step up and say, hey, I'm willing to lead because I believe this wholeheartedly and I have no doubt about it. I know what the American culture and church has set up, the way, the way things have been, 
But I also want to challenge you with this. I believe that there's somebody here, maybe even today, that is supposed to pastor a church, supposed to lead out in ministry and maintain your job. And I believe that wholeheartedly because I know that God has called people up. He says, I have called people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. And maybe, just maybe, that new thing is that God is tugging at your heart and saying, hey, you're, you need to lead out. You need to be the one who's going to pastor. And maybe it's just the simple fact is this, that we as a church, as small as we are, can realize that we can make a bigger impact, a larger impact when we don't focus just solely on us. But we focus in on multiplying churches, multiplying disciples, and seeing people around the city of Independence as well as Kansas City come to Christ. That's the new thing that I'm gonna challenge you with. I told you from the get-go, if we ever ran 300, that would be great, but we're gonna ask people to leave in a polite way. We wanna ask people to leave. We want people to come in, be trained, equipped, encouraged, and launched out to go and help plant or plant other churches to replant other churches. So my goal is over the next couple years is that I can take on a few guys with the end goal that they understand that hopefully we can ask you to leave in a great way to launch you out as a church planter or church replanter pastor to lead a church back to vitality, back to significance, back to seeing people come to the gospel. Let's pray. And then we're going to close in a song. Father, we thank you for the fact that you want to do a new thing in and through us, we know that you did a new thing through the sending of your son, Jesus, that God at the right time, at the right place, at the right moment, you sent him, born of a virgin, born perfect, was without sin, was tempted and tried in every way, lived his life, obedient to what you've called him to do. God, he went to the cross to carry our sins, to carry our burdens, to carry our unrighteousness. And he died and yet he rose again, offering us life. And so God, I pray that we would understand that that new life, that new thing begins with our faith and trust in Christ, with our belief that he died on the cross and rose again, offering us life and life more abundantly. But God, may we not stop at that. May we realize that you want to do a new thing in each and every one of us. And maybe that just means that I maintain my job and I be, become obedient to making disciples where I'm at. Maybe it means I maintain my job and maybe you're calling somebody up to pastor or to lead. God, we don't know what that looks like, but we pray that you would reveal that to us over this next year. God, each as individuals, but as a church as well, that we can grow, that we can prosper, that we can be obedient to what you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.